So, yeah, as many of you know, I take partying really, really seriously. Um, when I'm not dealing with my grumpy, anorexic girlfriend, I'm listening to techno. Um, you do it at the same time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for me, a dance floor is kind of this uh, mystical place where you can um, radically express yourself through your style, through your movements, through your sexuality. Um, and on top of that, I think electronic music is kind of a testament to man's genius, engineering, and application of machine. And on top of that, again, I think clubs and festivals are an integral part to any city's kind of cultural identity. So I've kind of been racking my brain, why is it so hard to throw a party in Sydney? Um, as some of you may know, I throw a party <laughs> called Okra. For those who don't, it's just... It's a techno party. And um, one of the biggest obstacles that I faced when throwing uh, the recent party was finding a suitable space. Uh, now, kind of like lockout injured clubs with aggressive secos, exorbitant beer prices, and shitty sound systems, for me, that's not very inspiring. Um, I need to find what, you know, many will call a safe space. It's become a bit of a buzzword, but it's true. I want the party to be a welcoming space for every colour, sexuality, gender. Um, and I ultimately found a space in the industrial area of Marrickville. Now, Marrickville is kind of, you know, on the fringes of Sydney, and uh, that's not some arbitrary thing. Uh, because, significantly, it's away from that kind of locus of conservative power that exists in the centre and that dictates the lockout situation. And um, my speech is kind of about spaces, and specifically how the proximity of spaces to other spaces is really significant. Um, so space is so much more than kind of the demarcation of geography. Uh, humans love to define spaces and parcel them in neat little boxes. You know, we'll call a space uh, private or public, uh, family or social, or work or leisure. Spaces are synonymous with certain activities. Spaces come with codes of behaviour, and certain spaces can only exist on the fringes of society. They are reserved for otherness, uh, deviation, perversion, correction. I'm particularly interested in these spaces. Uh, these spaces of otherness are what the great philosopher Foucault called heterotopias. Uh, heterotopias are closely linked to the idea of a utopia. Um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with what a utopia is. It's not actually a real place. It's more like uh, yeah, an ideal vision of what a per perfect society could be. So it's an ideal rather than a real locatable space. Heterotopias, on the other hand, are physical representations or approximations of a utopia or a, uh, a parallel space that contains undesirable bodies to make a real utopian space possible such as a prison or a mental asylum. Uh, in some ways, they are like utopias that are practiced or enacted. So here are some examples to kind of swage that confusion. Um, firstly, there's what Foucault calls a crisis utopia, uh, sorry, heterotopia, yeah, which is a separate space, like a boarding school or a motel room, where activities like coming of age or a honeymoon take place out of sight. Heterotopias of ritual or purification uh, are spaces that are isolated and penetrable, yet not freely accessible like a public space. 
To get in, one must have permission to make certain gestures, such as in a sauna or in a Turkish bath. And then there's heterotopias of deviation, which are institutions where we place individuals whose behavior is outside the norms. So think hospitals, asylums, prisons, rest homes, and cemeteries. Um, they objectify the mad and the sane, the sick and the healthy, the criminals and the good boys. Um, <laughs> Now, the medieval cemetery was traditionally in the center of the city, uh, with a closed and untroubled promiscuity between the living and the dead. With enlightened concerns about hygiene, coupled with a growing disbelief in immortality, cemeteries at the end of the 18th century were gradually placed outside the city, on the fringes, where those who could afford it found an, an individual place of rest. The cemetery illustrates how heterotopias change their function at different stages in history and reflect wider attitudes in society. Um, I'm going to try to argue that dance clubs have become what cemeteries were at the turn of the 18th century. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about lockouts. I'm done talking about it, but let's just quickly drop some facts, so <laughs> we're all reminded. Um, so my dance community uh, was kind of decentralized from the King's Cross area, and the late-night economy, economy collapsed, forcing the closure of historic city venues, which not only damaged our international reputation, tarnished our cultural identity, but has also reduced the opportunity for young artists to kind of showcase their material. Um, but let's look at Russia in 2013. They uh, passed legislation against homosexual propaganda, which included wording that decriminalized virtually any public statement in support of, quote, non-traditional sexual relations, which is what Foucault would call sexual deviance. In response, many of the world's leading queer-friendly clubs organized Promote Diversity fundraisers. The press release for the event said, quote, equality on all levels and tolerance are basic values that the club and music scene has always supported. But why would the global nightclub community take action to support sexual minorities? Well, uh, presumably because most of the music scenes that founded today's dance music genres, think disco, think garage, think house, weren't actually shock horror made uh, for, you know, eastern suburb white boys to dance to or at you know, jam gallery on a Friday night. They came from these <laughs> minority communities, these marginalized groups, including gays, lesbians, trans people, racial and ethnic minorities. Uh, let's go back, yeah, well, let's go back to New York in the 1970s. Um, queers of color came together to create small pockets of space in the city's harsh urban landscape. Discotheques, a space where they could be themselves or perform as someone else and be with others in ways not permitted in normal, everyday world. The sound of these events would eventually develop into the sound called disco. But as disco began to saturate music markets, disco itself increasingly lost its connection to its queer, black, and Latin roots. When the disco market collapsed at the end of the 70s, music, uh, at the end of the 70s, music critics and radio programmers launched an anti-disco slogan. It's pretty genius. Disco sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this was available on T-shirts, bumper stickers, buttons, etc. But this was a direct reference to cocksucking, um, <laughs> aiming a half-spoken homophobic slur at disco and its fans and its roots. Now, in Chicago in 1979, a disco demolition night took place during a game between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. 
Spectators were invited to bring along unwanted disco records, which were piled into the middle of the field during the break between the two games and blown up with dynamite. Uh, now I'm just going to go back to Foucault, because another heterotopia that he mentions is the heterotopia of time, which um, he uses the museum as an example, because it encloses in one place objects from all times and styles. Uh, now for me a great DJ set will transform the club into a museum of sound. The DJ becomes like a historian, joining the dots between electro, afro, and techno. They remind me that disco existed as a precursor to house. In that moment of dancehall ecstasy, I am reminded of my culture's roots and the lineage of struggle that connects all those genres. From Chicago to Russia to Sydney, dance music and its, and its spaces have faced constant assault from the powers that be. But if places of racial and sexual equality are being shunned to the sidelines, then what do we have at the center? Like <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like, what, what utopias have we enabled? The star and forthcoming Crown Casinos are omitted from the liquor license schemes and lockout zones that have continued to cripple Sydney's queer-friendly nightlife venues. A lack of gun regulation allowed Omar Mateen to kill 49 clubbers inside Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando. And today, it was announced that Fabric, one of London's greatest dance institutions, would have its license revoked following the recent drug-related deaths of two 18-year-olds inside the premises. The world's fucked, okay? That's my point. Um, so I really, really need a dance floor so I can sometimes just close my eyes, cut some shapes, and forget about all that. Thank you. Thank you.